You're very welcome to Cornerstone this morning. And as Marcus said, please do stick around um, for tea and coffee after the service if you're visiting with us. Today, Marcus is going to be wrapping up our um, series on the Sermon on the Mount. So today's reading is going to be from the, um, Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to be reading from verses 12 through to the end. So that's Matthew chapter 7, verses 12 through to the end. This is God's word. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thorn bushes? So every healthy tree that bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you, Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Let's pray before Marcus comes to speak. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you that you are gracious and merciful. You're slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And Father, we just recognize that how far humanity has fallen from bearing your image. God, you are a God who does not delight in wickedness and evil cannot dwell with you. But Lord, we thank you that those who put their trust in you, you are their shield and protection. And Father, we just even think of families this week in Dublin whose lives have been shattered by the hands of evil. And God, we pray that they would find their hope and refuge in you. And that Lord, as we await for ultimate justice to be served, God, whenever Jesus returns, that Lord, as we wait, we would be found to be like Jesus. That though he was reviled, he did not revile in return. 
and though he suffered, he did not threaten. But Father, he continued to entrust himself to, to you who judges justly. And Father, we thank you that um, this week that there has been a truce and a, a moment of peace in the fighting in the Middle East. And God, we just pray that this would be a reminder that in a world where peace is scarce, that God, ultimately we as fallen, fallen humans, God, need peace to be made between us and you. The Lord, while we were still enemies, that Christ died for us and reconciled us to you again. Lord, we just thank you for this passage today and even for the series on the Sermon on the Mount. God, we pray that your word would, Lord, really change us. That, God, it would help us to become more and more like Jesus. And that as your word spoke of today, that we would be known by our fruit. That, God, as we approach Advent and our Christmas outreaches, that just as Marcus said, that we who are um, organizing and helping with the prep for that, God would keep our eyes fixed on you. Lord, that we would do this out of a heart of gratitude for what you've done for us and a longing to see people in our community come to know you as well and know the truth of your gospel. God, we thank you that you sent Jesus to die in our place, to take on his body, the sin of the world, and ultimately to reconcile us to you, Lord, and and have redemption from our sins. And God, I just pray today for Marcus as he comes to speak. Lord, that your Holy Spirit would just be upon him. Father, that you would speak to hearts and minds in this room today, and even in our kids' spaces too. Holy Spirit, just come and have your way amongst us. And we just pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Steph. <clears throat> so as Steph has said, we are wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount this week um, because next week, as I said, starts our Advent. So, um, so today is the final, uh, final day in uh, this Sermon on the Mount. So if you have your Bible, please open it at Matthew 7. Keep it open in front of you at Matthew 7. Please um, follow along. Please prove what I say at the front is what is in Scripture. Don't just take it for granted. Um, but please follow along um, if you have your device or your Bible. So, Sermon on the Mount. You remember what's, what's happening. What's the point? And what's Jesus trying to get across in the Sermon on the Mount? So, he's trying to really teach the, what life as a disciple really should look like in this world. What is it like to be a disciple of Jesus in his kingdom? Um, what does it look like to live as his disciple? Um, so that's what he's been doing up to this point in the Sermon on the Mount. And so now he's going to, um, on the back of our teaching, he wants to end by giving a series of warnings to the people. So a series of warnings. Um, and we're going to look at those warnings uh, this morning. And we're going to end the Sermon on the Mount Obviously, the same way as Jesus ends his sermon at the time. And so, as he gives these warnings, he uses a number of analogies to help kind of the people this time and also us to understand um, the analogies and also to help give them a bit of weight. Um, so, his aim, his aim in this ultimately is to help the people to, to really think deep 
into their hearts and minds. That's what his aim has been throughout this, hasn't it? Do you know where he said those things? Where you've heard that it is said, but I say, you've heard that it is said, but I say, and he, he helps people to really think deep into the, their heart and into their mind and into their soul and to think deeper than just surface level. And so that's what he wants here as well as he finishes this up. He wants the hearers to really think deeply about what he's saying and what he has been saying. And that's what we want as well this morning, for us to think deeply into what Jesus is saying here, to examine ourselves as a result of it and see what conclusions we come to. So in each of these warnings, he, um, he gives two options. Right? Two options. You, I don't know if you're, some of you maybe grew up a bit like me, um, and if, uh, where you had the, the magic two choices. So, you know, you didn't really like what was on the dinner table plate. You're like, oh, I don't really like that. My, our parents were great. They always give us another choice. And you have two choices. You can either take it or leave it. Yes, so they were very good like that. So here's we have two choices as well throughout this. We have two, two options as we go through this. And we're going to look through these. So here's the first one. And in the first verse that uh, Steph read, or the second verse Steph, Steph read, verse 13, it says, enter by a narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads, uh, to, uh, that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So here's the first one. We've got two gates or two paths in life. Uh, we've got the narrow gate, right, the narrow gate, and that has a hard road beyond it. We've got a wide gate, and that has an easy road or an easy pathway. And so here's the, Jesus is obviously saying that the narrow way is really the way, if you choose me, it's a, it's a narrow way, right? If you follow me, it's a narrow way and the road is hard. But there's another choice as well to you, and that's like a big wide road. And most people are taking this wide gate and this, and that's an easier path. And that's what most people are doing. But if you, if, if you follow me, then it's a narrow, hard path. Now, I, Jesus doesn't try to fluff up what a Christian life is like. And he never does. He never tries to sort of give this illusion that, oh, if you become a Christian, all will be fine, and it's an easy thing, and it's all lovey-dovey, and it's all great. He paints it as it is. He gives a real picture of it. He says that the narrow gate, if you enter the narrow gate, the way is hard. And that word hard in the original really has these links to um, the word for persecution and tribulation and, and pressure. That's what he's trying to get across here. He's not trying to say, like, lighten it in any way. He says it's hard. Being a follower of Jesus is hard. It's a hard path to go. It's a difficult thing to be a Christian. It's a difficult thing to be a Christian in culture then, and it's a difficult thing to be a Christian now in today's culture. And I don't, it doesn't really matter where you are. We can, we can look at this and think, well, yeah, there's people in the world and they're being physically and every way persecuted for their faith. And there are, there are people and it's extremely hard for them. But if we're actual doers of the word and if we are living as God wants us to as Christians, then it'll be hard for us as well in different ways. So you think maybe if you're still a young person at school, um, maybe it's, it's hard, isn't it? It's hard being a Christian at school. It's easy to blend in, but it's hard to stand out. 
So maybe your friends are doing something and, and you, there's a choice and you're, in your mind you're thinking, oh, I don't think that's really the right thing to do here, but I'll be honest, um, it's going to be really hard for me to kind of like stand out from that or stand aside from that and they're going to look at me and they're going to notice me and they're going to abandon me. And, and so it's hard being a Christian even in those circumstances. Or if we're in the workplace, it's hard, isn't it, to maybe have that good work ethic you know, where everyone else is like taking their, you know, their hour for the lunch and, you know, you only got half an hour and you're getting up in the middle of the, the lunch at, at halfway through and you're walking away and they're like, oh, you man here, like sucking up to the boss and all. There's just, there's a multitude of ways where life can be hard as a Christian. It's not easy. It's not the easy path. The easy path is just to go along with the crowd. And so Jesus is saying, he's been teaching Throughout the Sermon on the Mount up to now, what it's like you know, to be salt and light in a dark world, what it's like to love your enemies even though they hate you, uh, what it's like to remain, how you're supposed to remain pure in heart. He's been teaching all of these things, and he knows it's not an easy path. It says that the wide, it says, um, for the gate is wide and the way is easy, it leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. Many. And so this is another reason why it's hard to be a Christian because when you, you become a Christian, you're, you're going against this flow. There's many people on this broad road. There's many people that go through the wide gate. That's where most people are. And so for us to be a Christian, there's, it's, it's hard to go against that. And so it's going to be difficult. It's hard to live lives that are countercultural. But here is the thing. The roads in themselves, they're not, they're not ends in and of themselves. The roads and the, the gates, they're just pathways to something, to somewhere. Each of these roads and each of these paths have a final destination. And both destinations will make whatever we experience in this life Whatever we experience in this life pale into insignificance, whether that's the temporary ease of life that we experience if we choose the broad road, or whether it's the temporary pain and hardship in life if we choose the narrow way. Either way, the final destination is going to make whatever we experience in this life pale into insignificance. The wide gate, the broad road, it leads to destruction. The narrow way, it leads to life. And so Jesus here is, you can see he's pushing his, these people. They've now heard his teaching. They've been surrounded by a religion. And now he's like, but I want you to really think here. Which path are you on? Which path are you on? Are you on the narrow path or are you on the broad path? He's pushing his disciples not just to be those who, who give this like shallow commitment to Jesus. But he wants them to truly examine, are they real or are they just these pretend followers of Jesus? He says, the way, if you follow me, it's a hard path. But he also says, it's a, the hardship is temporary. It's a temporary hardship. As I was looking at this, um, it just struck me again that if you've ever been in a situation where you're counseling somebody for salvation, 
and you, um, the temptation in those times is to make, paint Christianity as it's, it's, it'll all be great. Listen, and you, you, you're, you're with someone and you can see they're under conviction and you're like, oh, but they're, they're so, it seems like they're so close. And, and you're like, listen, yeah, become a Christian and it'll be all fine and you'll have Jesus and he'll, you'll, it'll be great. And, and just, yeah, you just need to come to Jesus. It'll be all fine. Or maybe you just paint this picture like, you know, hey, you just come to Jesus. Jesus loves you and you just need to just accept him. And just, you know, that's, that's what it just, yeah. And you're, you're just trying to like not, I don't want to tell them like about all the years of pain that I went through as a Christian because if they do that, they'll never come to faith in him. Can I encourage and urge you never do that? Never do it because Jesus doesn't do it. Feel free to be open about that. Jesus is very open about the path. It's a hard path. It is hard. But also don't fail to tell them about the life that is at the end of it. But it's a life that leads... It's a, it's a path that leads to life, whereas the other path leads to destruction, eternal destruction. So we've got two paths, two gates, two paths. Then he moves on to verse 15. Now we've got two trees. And so we've got in here the tree that produces fruit, good fruit and the tree that produces bad fruit. And so the tree that produces bad fruit, he now likens to false prophets. If, if one of the reasons why people are on the broad road, as he's speaking to these people, if one of the reasons they're, they're on this broad road that leads to destruction, if one of those reasons is because it's just an easier path, you know, and most people are going that path, well, I wonder is another reason because they have been susceptible to false, misleading, deceptive, evil teaching that has masked itself as being good? Have they been susceptible to false teaching from false teachers? Jesus warns to be aware of false prophets because they are ravenous wolves, right? And it says here, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. It's not that you've just bumped into them. He says, you'll not just bump into them. They have come to you they're on a mission, and their mission is to devour you. And he says, beware of them. Today's society, I think in today's society, and in the world we live in today is a playground for false prophets. It is a fairground for false prophets. Why do I say it? Well, what is the litmus test that Jesus says here to identify false prophets? Well, he says here, let's read it. Verse 16, you will recognize them by their fruits. You'll recognize them by their fruits. Now, um, if you're going to observe the fruit in someone's life, it's, that's, you can't, even on a tree, right? Tr fruit on a tree doesn't just grow straight away. Right? It's a, it takes a bit of time for that fruit to grow and develop. And sometimes something can grow and you're like, is that a fruit or is that a bud? Or is it just because I'm 45 and I can't see it properly? Right? I don't know. But and then it, it grows a bit more. And over time, you think, ah, it's actually not a, not a fruit at all. It was my eyes. Or, oh, yeah, it is a fruit. We, we've over in uh, Jane's parents' house, they have fruit trees. And um, 
they've got these plum trees and uh, when you're standing in the kitchen looking out, you can see, you can sort of see, yep, I think that's plums on that, yeah, yeah it is. And then you have to go out and you get closer and you think, oh yeah, look at the plums, they all look good, right? And, and then you get a bit closer and then you realize, oh actually, I can see some are a bit diseased and some aren't great. But then what has happened to us a month or two ago, which we also discovered, we got right up close. I even got my hands on it, right? And I pulled it off. Oh, yes, lovely big plum. And then you opened it up, and there was worms on it. And you're like, well, thank you, Lord, for protecting me against that, from putting that on my mouth. Worms in it. Both of them looked good. The one beside it looked good. This one looked good. Well, one wasn't. It's only when we got up close to the fruit that we were able to identify, was it a good or was it bad? And in order for us to be able to identify, is someone a false teacher, a false prophet, or are they genuine? It needs proximity, right? You need to be able to observe their lives sort of on a regular basis. But in today's culture, where, where do we get most of our teaching from? So if I asked the young people here, where do you get most, you probably even realize it, where do you get most of your teaching from? Where do you get most of the influences in your life from? You're maybe holding it in your hand, right? So the internet, social media, is not where we get, potentially get most of our teaching from. You get it from Instagram stories. You get these wee short, sort of 10, 15 second stories. And that's where we get our teaching from. Increasingly, we find it difficult and people find it difficult to sit for any length of time and study the scripture or read a good book. Instead, we scroll through stories, Instagram stories and reels, influencers from influencers, preachers, pastors, so-called bloggers. And we add up all those few seconds every day. And then before you know it, we've now got an opinion in our mind. Here's the problem with that. There is no opportunity to test these preachers, teachers. There's no opportunity to see if they have actually fruit in their life. There's no opportunity to do that. So how are you going to know if they're a false teacher or not? Jesus says it's by their fruit. It's not by what church they belong to. Right? It's not because of how popular they are. It's not even because of how convinced, convincing what they're saying is. It's by their fruit. That's how you'll know them. By their fruit. Of course what they're saying can sound right. Of course that one wee snippet can sound right. But actually, ultimately, it may be just poison that slowly pollutes your mind and possibly leads you through the wide gates to destruction. Jesus seen fit at the end of his sermon here to warn the people about false prophets and false teachers. Be discerning. Don't just believe something because it sounds right. Test it through Scripture. Don't get most of your teaching from someone who you only see on a screen a few times a day or a few times a week. This is why we constantly push the importance of being plugged into a local church. 
This is why we constantly plug the importance of attendance here on a Sunday morning. This is why we constantly plug the importance of being connected and attending your connect groups. Right? Because you're in those groups and you're receiving teaching from people in those groups and you can observe their lives and you can see, does their lives match up to what they're teaching? What's the fruit like in their life? Do I see the fruit of the Spirit in their life? Do I see those things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness? Do I see those things in their life? Because if you don't see those things in their life, then they're not a, they're not a proper teacher. They're a false prophet. So this is the ultimate litmus, litmus, litmus test that Jesus asks his people to put through to see if these are real or to see if they're actually not. Just on a side note to this, this is also one of the reasons why we agree with the the church structure of having elders. Right, so part of our role as elders is to guard the flock, to protect against false teachers who can come into the church. Let me read you Timothy 1, verses 9 to 11. He, this is talking about the elder, must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. So this is part of our role as elders, is to protect against, to be watchful for this, to be watchmen, to protect against false teachers. This is why alarm bells, and it's when you hear of maybe other gatherings who gather and maybe just think, oh, do you know what, my, the stuff in my church isn't really working out. And so we're, let's just meet up in somebody's house and let's just gather together and let's just be great. We'll get together and we'll, we'll study the word and it'll be fine and all the problem with that is there's no oversight. The problem with that, there's no watchmen. The problem with that is it's just a, it's just a free-for-all for teaching. And so that's why we believe in the structure of elders within Cornerstone Church. Not that we're trying to say that we, that us elders, are anything special at all. But we see that this is a structure that God has laid out. And this is one of the reasons why. And so beware of false teachers. And everything you're listening to, um, test, test what you're listening to. Don't just accept it. So we've got two gates, we've got two trees, and now we've got two claims. Look at verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So here we'll have a warning against deceiving yourself, deceiving ourselves. So I had a warning just in the verses before about other deceivers that will try to deceive us. And now he's warning us about being deceived ourselves, deceiving ourselves. And Jesus says here that there are those 
There's those in that great judgment day. And they're going to claim that they have prophesied in Jesus' name. Jesus, we've, we've prophesied in your name. We've cast out demons in your name. We did many works in your name, Jesus. And there's nothing here to indicate that they actually didn't do that. Doesn't, Jesus doesn't say here, oh, well, actually, you know, that's actually false. You didn't really. You're lying. There's nothing to indicate that they didn't do many works in Jesus' name. There's nothing to indicate that they didn't prophesy in Jesus' name. There's nothing to indicate that this, what they're saying isn't right. And it would appear here that these people are completely convinced. They have got to judgment day completely convinced that they are ready for heaven. Completely convinced. But in that final day, discussion time is over. There's no discussion here with Jesus. It doesn't say here that Jesus sits them down and says, well, you know what, um, I know what you're saying. I understand that you, you, you thought you were, but to be honest, it was because you were under the influence of those false teachers all your life, and they have misled you, and then now you're here, and you've thought, and you've been dependent on this. Now, there's no discussion with Jesus here. There's simply a, a declaration. Jesus simply declares, I never knew you. Depart from me. You workers of iniquity, are you lawless people? See, the time for discussion and debating and reasoning is now over. Jesus wants us to make sure, and the people here to make sure, that they're not deceiving themselves. This, um, as I was studying through this passage, this passage very much describes my journey in life very much describes my journey everything up to this point and and i i would have been one of these people and i've said this before i i i would have been one of these people only for the grace of god that stepped into my life at the age of 15 and opened my eyes to see that actually i wasn't a doer of the word right i was just a hearer I was just a hearer of the word. And I had myself convinced, I mean convinced, that I was ready for eternity. I had myself convinced I was ready for heaven. Right? And if this was me, if I put myself in this, I'd have been like, Jesus, I did. Are you, I did many great wonders in your name. I did many great works in your name. I mean, I stood and, uh, like, I protested in your name against evil. I did that all in your name, Jesus. I stood out in the cold and did that. I stood out in open airs, right? And I did all that in your name. Didn't really want to do it, right? But I did it. I did it in your name. And I, like, I prayed in open airs in your name. I, I went to youth. I helped out in youth and church in, open, in, in your name, Jesus. I went to church faithfully twice in your name. I went to prayer meeting in your name. I plucked up the courage to pray out loud in prayer meetings in your name, even though it freaked me out. I mean, what more could I have done in your name, Jesus? How can you possibly say that you don't know me? And Jesus would have just said, 
I don't know you. I never knew you. Depart from me. You're actually a lawless person. Right? You're a worker of lawlessness. So that would have been me. Only that Jesus stepped into my life at 15. And only through the power of his Holy Spirit, he opened my eyes to see that. And at the age of 15, he, the Holy Spirit convicted me of the phoniness of my salvation. And how I actually didn't love Jesus. I wasn't actually a doer of the word. I was just a hearer of the word. It wasn't real, my, my salvation. And when he opened my eyes, then I seen it. And at that point, I started my journey on the narrow road. And I started my journey then of following Jesus. Are there evidences of fruit in your life? Examine yourself. Let me read you just um, some words from J.C. Ryle on this. He says, we may be baptized in the name of Christ and boast confidently of our um, ecclesiastical privileges. We may possess head knowledge and be quite satisfied with our own state. We may even be preachers and teachers of others and perform many miracles in connection with our church. But all this time, are we practically doing the will of our Father in heaven? Do we truly repent, truly believe in Christ and live holy and humble lives? If not, in spite of all our privileges and professions of faith, we shall miss heaven at last and be, cast, and be forever cast away. We shall hear those awful words, I never knew you, away from me, you evildoers. The day of judgment will reveal strange things. The hopes of many who were thought great Christians while they lived will be utterly confounded. The rottenness of their religion will be exposed and put to shame before the whole world. It will then be proved that to be saved means something more than making a profession. We must make a practice of our Christianity as well as a profession. Let us often think of that great day. Let us often judge ourselves that we be not judged and condemned by the Lord. Wherever else we are, let us aim at being real, true, and sincere. So examine yourself. What are you trusting in? What are you depending on today? Are you depending on your church attendance? Are you depending on your church going? Are you depending on the fact that you do good works? Are you dependent on the fact that um, you give out invites to help out? Are you help out of kids, things, ministries? Are you depend on the fact that you preach from the front? Are you dependent on the fact that you preach and teach in kids? If you're dependent on any of that, it's all, it's wrong. It's not the thing to be depending on. It's not, none of those things are the evidences that God is asking us to look and examine for here of true salvation. And so examine yourself today. And then finally, where does he finish? So he's given these two gates Two roads. He's asked us to beware then of false prophets. Look out for the fruit and what you're listening to. And then he's asked us to examine ourselves as well. Examine ourselves. 
and ensure that we are true believers. And then he concludes his sermon, and we're going to conclude the same way by looking at two builders. So he rounds up his sermon here with a final analogy. Two builders from verse 24. So one is wise and one is foolish. Now there's a lot of rogue um, builders out there, I'm sure. I'm sure none of them go to Cornerstone Church. They're all very good builders, I'm sure. Um, But there's plenty of rogue ones out there. And what will happen is uh, those rogue builders, they'll... They'll do, it'll all look great on the outside, right? And they'll put this thing up and it'll look brilliant. But then over a year's time or over at some point in time, cracks will start to form and you'll start to see something going wrong with that building. But at the time they build it, oh, great job. Look at that. Get a load of paint and that, cover all that up. Loads of paint. Put a load of plaster and that, actually there and that, cover all that up. They're dead on, they'll never notice it. And they won't. Until that building starts getting put under a bit of stress. And then the whole thing goes to pot. And you're left with a building that is no use and not fit for purpose. Well, here's what Jesus is saying here. You've got two builders. And they both build houses. And there's, to all intents, for all intents and purposes, the, both houses are probably fine. Both houses probably, you know, um, are fulfilled what they need to do at the start and maybe they both look great and both think well that's brilliant two good houses there so all the houses look good both houses are also susceptible to the same weather conditions right the the conditions are all the same but the difference is that both of them have different foundations and that's the key of this both have different foundations Whenever the rain and the storm came, one house stood firm and one crumbled and fell. Let me read these verses again. You follow along. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. For it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So here's Jesus' final words, final conclusion. He says, everyone then, everyone then who hears these words of mine, right? So all that I've been teaching you, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, puts them into practice, right? So there's we have the whole faith and works coupled together. You can't have one without the other, right? So if you hear these words and you put them into practice, then you're wise. If you hear these words and just stay hearers and don't put them into practice, then you're a fool. And that's what Jesus is trying to get across here. We can have, we can, we, our lives can, our lives can look great on the outside. We can look like the most religious people. We can look like the best church people in Cornerstone. We can look like our lives can look like with everything together. We can look like we're followers of Jesus. But if we are simply those who hear God's word and know all about it, and maybe even are able to quote passages of Scripture, even better, how we look up to those people, don't we? Do you ever, you ever in a, in a, somebody's in a, you know, in a group or a connect group or somewhere, and they're like, oh, he's a, 
He's a mighty man of He's a mighty man of God. He he can quote scripture like that. Quoting scripture like that is worthless if you're not a doer of that scripture that you can quote. It's a great thing to be able to quote scripture. It's a great gift to be able to memorize scripture. And we should memorize it. But if we only memorize it and only able to quote it and not actually doing it, then it's worthless and actually we're deceived and we're a deceiver of others. Because when the storms come, and while that's the storms of um, pain and sickness and disappointment and bereavement and tribulation in this life or the storms of God's final judgment on that final judgment day, ultimately that house that's not built on the rock, which is Christ, will crumble and fall. And so you can almost have this picture of people living in this house, and it's, they're not even thinking about the house because, you know, when the sun's shining and everything's going well, they're not even thinking about the house or what it's foundation. They're not even thinking about the foundations. Why would they think about the foundations? There's no reason to. The house looks great. It's doing what it's supposed to do. It's sheltering us. It's fine. It's all good. No problem at all. But then when the storms come, when the floods come, then they start thinking about the house. I wait devastation in Newry not too long ago. And probably for all of those shop owners and those residents, they probably weren't actually thinking about the structure that they were running their business from or living in. They're probably too busy thinking about all the other things, how to run their business, keep their business afloat, and get new customers, and they're, they're, if they're a resident, maybe just all the other cares of the world. They never thought of the structure they were living in. But then when the floods came, suddenly all their attention was on the structure. But at that point, it's too late. It's too late to start thinking about it then because they're in it and the floods are on them. And Jesus is saying, don't leave this too late. Think about the foundation of your house now. Think about the foundation of your life now. What is your life founded on? Is it founded on a rock, which is Christ? Or is it just founded on just sand? That'll just disintegrate away. So whenever the floods of life or the floods of that judgment day come on those who aren't found in Christ, then the fall will be great. Look at that last line in verse 27. And the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and, the, the great, and great was the fall of it. But for those who aren't, for those who are founded in Christ, yes, the same floods will come, the same storms of life will come, and judgment day will come as well for those who are in Christ. But the difference is, when it comes, they stand firm. They stand firm because they are being held up by the foundation that is Christ. He is the one who holds them up. And so, as we finish this Sermon on the Mount. It seems like a really solemn, sort of serious note to finish, doesn't it? And I don't make any apology for that because this is how Jesus seen fit to finish his sermon to the people. Jesus is a God who is filled with um, love and concern and desire for the people and like any 
anybody who is um, who has any love for those around them, they'll want to warn them of danger. And so Jesus finishes here saying, make sure everything I've taught you, please don't just be a passive hearer and don't ride your life on just the fact that you know the gospel and you know about Jesus and you're familiar with it and you're part of a church and you're connected in there and you're maybe um, helping out a few things and all of that. Don't, don't, don't get distracted by that. You need to think deeper than that. Go deeper and think, what is your life really founded on? Are you actually a doer of all of those things? How can you be a doer? What is a doer of the word? Well, a doer of the word, what does Christ ask us to do? He says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. There's the starting point. Are you a believer? Do you know you need to believe or are you believing? Do you know you need to repent or have you repented and are you repenting? The difference is great. The difference is vast. What are you depending on this morning? Examine yourselves and make sure that we are and you are on the narrow, hard road that ultimately leads to eternal life. Let me pray. Jesus, you you warn us because you're a God who cares. Father, you warn us as any good father would warn his children. And I pray that your warnings will not fall on deaf ears this morning. God, will you help us to be people who are not only hearers of the word, but are doers of the word as well. Will you help us to be those who examine our hearts to see where we truly are with you, Jesus? Will you help us to be those who are watchful and discerning and don't just fall prey to false prophets and false teachers? God, will you help us this morning to be those who have lives that are built on the rock, which is Christ. And God, I pray that there will be none in this gathering this morning who on that final judgment day will hear those awful words, depart from me, I never knew you. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do in hearts and minds now. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.